Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one lively page of Talmud every day. Usually on this podcast, I talk a little bit about what the page of Talmud says, and then I introduce the guest. But today I want to do this the other way around. I want to introduce the guest first because the subject, well, it's complicated. Welcome back, my friend, the quarter of Starav, Rabbeinu Mark Oppenheimer. I am wide whaled and at your service. I'm in Cordoy. I am in Cordoy right now, and it's good to be back. Always a pleasure to be with you on our other podcast, Unorthodox, but a pleasure to step inside your court, Ravliel, and to talk Talmud with you. The reason I asked you is actually twofold. First, I always enjoy your company and, and, and your wisdom and your ruach, but I came across a word in today's Talmud pages, Chagiga 11 and 12. And look, you know, there are many ways to read Talmud. Uh, Sometimes you are inspired by a particular bit of brilliance. Sometimes you're presented with a kind of harsh legal code to decipher. But sometimes there is a word, Mm -hmm. and the word is good, (laughs) and the word (laughs) takes you back. This is not unlike the method of homiletic interpretation that some rabbis do. It's like, well, how do we know that this means that? Because the words sort of sound alike. So this word, as it often does for rabbis, it opened the chakras. Uh, it took me back, like Proust's Madeleine, to different greener paths. I want to read to you a passage, and then you will help me reflect for reasons that will soon become obvious. Bring it. Uh, the rabbis are talking about sexual transgressions. Furthermore, the punishment for this transgression is derived from a verbal analogy. See, we're on safe ground. It is lewdness, which is written with regard to a woman and her daughter, and the same term lewdness that appears elsewhere as it is stated. And if a man take with his wife also her mother, it is lewdness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they. Again, kids, your weekly reminder uh, that thou shalt not seduce a woman and her mother. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about this word lewdness, which in Hebrew is zima, Z-I-M-A. Mark, where does that take you? Well, I will tell you where it takes me in a moment, but first I want to I ask you uh, for a bit of, of Israeli Hebrew knowledge that I don't possess. Is this a word in contemporary Hebrew as well, zima? A hundred percent. By the way, porn used to be called, when I was, when I was coming up, porn used to be called sirte zima, movies of lewdness. Movies of lewdness, right? So, so when the Coors Brewing Company brought Zima, the alcoholic um, beverage, onto the market in 1992, did it debut in Israel as well? Were you a, a 16 or 17-year-old who could now b- go into the store and buy a, a crystal clear bottle of lewdness? The, the Jewish people were, were visited with many tragedies. Fortunately, this is one we were spared. There was no Zima in Israel, nor were we particularly convinced, those of us who met it on their travels, that the word actually means winter in several Slavic languages, because for us, it was always about one thing. But this is this is what I wanted to talk to you about. I discovered Zima when, when I was a, a an Israeli scout traveling or spending the summer in the United States in 1990, too long ago to, to admit publicly. And something became really clear to me, which actually kind of ties all the threads of today's stuff together. There was always something highly... I don't want to say sexualized, but gendered about Zima, right? If you were a man who drank this, uh, you were mocked. And I've, I've since gone down the rabbit hole and looked at, like, you know, Dave Letterman monologues. Like, you're kind of mocked as, you know, not sufficiently masculine. What, what, what went on with Zima? There was always something sexualized about Zima from almost the moment it debuted. 
though not, it turns out, in the conception of it. The, the, you know, many products are created by companies who are trying to tap into our, our inner zima, our inner lewdness, and that's the idea, is they're going to put it on the market as a kind of phallic or vaginal product, something that makes us think about, about coitus. As it turns out, that wasn't the case with Zima, and we're going to gonna teach you something. We're going to have a little bit of, of, a, of a shiur, and then we're going <laughs> to take it back, as the rabbis do, to what that tells us about how to, how to think about this page of, of Talmud. As it happens, there's a great textual critic who writes in America named Chuck Klosterman, who in his recent book on the 90s writes uh, a whole page or two, I'm not going to read all of it, about Zima. And he points out that it was in the context of a lot of products in the early 90s being brought on the American market that were clear. The idea was that clearness represented a certain kind of purity. So you had soaps like Ivory brought out Ivory Pure, and there were other. They were. It was the first time they marketed clear laundry detergents because the idea was if it's clear, there are no chemicals, there are no no pollutants, no contaminants. You know it's pure. This, of course, was total nonsense. There can be utterly clear. <laughs> you know, gasoline is clear, right? There's all sorts of clear things you don't want to put in your body. But this was how they tried to. It was uh, as as Klosterman puts it, Zima was a citrusy version of Coors beer scrubbed into translucence by charcoal filters. He goes on to write, Coors Brewing Company announced the invention of Zima in 1992, describing it as, quote, a malt-based spritzer. The word Zima, displayed on the packaging in a futuristic font, translated as winter in Russian. It had the same alcohol content as normal beer and was intended for consumption in the same venues by the same type of beer-obsessed people. In fact, Coors specifically instructed liquor stores never to place Zima next to the wine coolers, which were seen as a kind of lighter and, and more effeminate version of, of beer, right? But the flavor was nothing like beer. It was closer to cheap champagne mixed with Sprite. And unlike beer, it was the opposite of an acquired taste. Every new Zima went down slightly worse than the previous Zima. So this is the really interesting thing about Zima was it was this product brought on the market, not for men, not for women, not for the gay, not for the straight, but for people who wanted something that seemed healthier because it was clear and transparency or translucence was seen as more virtuous back then. The irony, of course, is, as Klosterman points out, that it actually tasted terrible. It tasted like garbage. It tasted like something totally polluted and contaminated. It was the opposite of the way water is refreshing, which is one reason that within a couple of years, nobody wanted Zima. So what does this do for us when we go back, circle back to, to the ancient Ravs of, of the Talmud, right? They actually were using Zima to talk about something that might seem uh, to a certain type erotic or pleasurable, right? If it's if they're issuing prohibitions against uh, having sex with a wife and also her mother, it means that somebody had done it, right? The rabbis only ban that which somebody has actually done. You only create laws when you know that something's actually going on, right? When there's a market for it, if you yeah, will. Yeah, there's a market. For it. That's why you have to ban it, right? That you only have prohibitions when people love the stuff. So the reason you have a prohibition of of a man taking his wife also with her mother is because some people were taking wives with their mothers in law. And what the rabbis are telling us, looking forward to the to the 1990s, obviously, with their prescience, with their rabbinic wisdom, is that there are certain things that to some people might seem as if they're going to be heavenly, as if they're going to be pure and orgasmic and triumphant and glorious, but actually they're sort of disgusting. And every every episode of this goes down worse than the last, like Zima itself, the beverage. Zima, an act of lewdness, is something that as much as you think that it will make your life better, it actually ends up sullying you and dirtying you. And therefore, as the rabbis teach, looking at Leviticus, they shall be burnt with fire, both he and they." 
both the consumer of Zima and the Coors Brewing Company of the first century or of of today, the purveyor of Zima, whoever tempted us into the Zima, uh, anyone who consummates the Zima is in fact someone who is now sullied and should be burnt with fire. And hence, you can go into a a good package store anywhere uh, in my parts where liquor stores are called package stores, and you will not find Zima today because deep down, uh, we all are Talmudists of the soul. And let us all say, Amen. Rabenu Kordor Sarov, Mark Oppenheimer, that was incredible. Thank you so much for being our guest. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and our producers are Daron Skay, Josh Cross, Robert Scarmuccia, Sarah Fredman-Ader, and Quinn Waller. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon. Take One.